step of faith. And we've been looking at stories from the Old Testament as ordinary people encounter a God who is with them and for them. It gives them the confidence and the courage to take a step of faith in their life. And, you know, a few months ago, a lady was sharing a story with me. And her friend's son had gone on a mission trip down to Mexico and was building some housing for lower-income people. And while he was on that trip, he tragically was killed. And the lady sharing the story with me, she's like, that doesn't make sense. When you do something for God, right, you should, you should be safe. And I think a lot of times when we think about taking a step of faith, we think, well, we better, now that we've done this, God better keep us safe. Like, that's his end of the bargain. And, you know, I constantly hear and get to meet new church planters and hear their vision and their dreams about starting a church and coming to Philadelphia and getting something started. And they always give me the same story. They're like, we're going to be the next Hillsong. We're going to be the next Passion Church. We're going to be the next Elevation Church. And I'm like, Those, there aren't that many churches of that size. But they're like, we're going to be the next mega church. We're going to be the next big thing. Because they're like, we've left safety and we've left family and we've left everything we know to go to a new place. And so God's got to do this big thing for us. And sometimes what they find a few years later, or maybe what you found as you've taken a step of faith is, sometimes it ended up being hard, or it ended up being painful, or it ended up not having the result you were expecting. And now you look at your next step of faith, and because of the disappointment of your last step of faith, you think, I don't know if I want to take another step of faith. See, sometimes disappointment keeps us from taking new steps of faith. Just like the success or the exciting things we've seen from steps of faith in the past can encourage us to take a new step, sometimes the disappointments we've had because of steps of faith in the past discourage us from taking steps of faith in the future. Now, we can't always be promised that when you take a step of faith that it will be safe or that it will be this huge success like you imagine. But what we are guaranteed is every time you take a step of faith, you will spiritually grow. You will grow you'll become more like Christ through a step of faith. And also, it'll also impact others for good. It'll encourage them to take steps of faith. It'll physically impact their world and make things better. And ultimately, we can always be assured it'll glorify God. And so sometimes when I start thinking about taking a step of faith, I'm like, but I only want to do it if it's successful. I have a good friend, and he, uh, he cracks me up. He's a good guy. He loves Jesus, but uh, he always tells me, he's like, I only want to do it if I've got a 100% chance that it's going to be successful. And I only want to do it if I know it's going to be easy and safe. And I'm like, you're not going to end up doing very much. And he really doesn't end up doing much because he's like, I'm only going to do the things for God that I 100% know are going to be surefire wins. It's not a step of faith if you're 100% confident of it, right? Faith is acting on something that you can't see. And sometimes our step of faith won't lead us around a fire or over a fire. It'll lead us into a fire. And that's exactly what happens in our story today. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 and starting in verse 7. And just a little bit of a background here. These are three friends of Daniel. Last week, our guest speaker, Alonzo, shared about Daniel. His three, uh, three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken with him out of the land of Israel when they were conquered by Babylon, taken to Babylon, forced into the Babylonian system, taught the Babylonian gods, the Babylonian language, given new Babylonian names, and became leaders in the Babylonian nation. And then the Babylonian king sets up this 90-foot-tall statue. He gathers together this huge band, and he says, every time the band plays, 
everybody has to stop what they're doing and start worshiping this giant 90 foot tall gold statue. And he says, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a fiery pit. And so everybody's like, okay, I'll worship anything if it's that or be thrown into a fiery pit. And these three young men say, no, 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 we're going to keep worshiping the one true God regardless of the consequences. And their step of faith leads them right through the fire. Let's look in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. We'll read the story and then we'll start pulling out some things. In verse 7 it says, Therefore when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. That cuts people in half. Only a Bond villain, right? I think King Nebuchadnezzar would be a great Bond villain because he, he just happens to have a fiery pit on the side in case he ever needs it for anybody. And so, verse 12, there are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. In a furious rage, King Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so these men were brought in, and Nebuchadnezzar asked them, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue? He says, if you're ready, when you hear all the music played and you bow down to worship, but if you don't, you will be immediately thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. If he can rescue us from the power of you, um, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than was normal, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. And so these men in their trousers and robes and head covering and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace. And since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot, the flames killed the men who carried them up to throw them in. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, did we throw three men in? I love his, he's such a math uh, guy, you can tell here. He's like, wait a minute, this isn't adding up. There's more than three. He says, yes, of course, king. We threw three men in. He says, look, I see four men not tied up, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and when the satraps, prefects, and governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, there was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar explained, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I issue this decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house will be made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who's able to deliver like this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that it impacts our lives as we recognize who you are and what you've done for us 
And God, I pray that you will be pleased with what we say and what I share. And may it be your message to us this week to impact us for your glory and to spread your good news. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So a couple things I just want to pull out here as we talk about taking a step of faith when it doesn't seem safe or, pro or success isn't promised. First of all, uh, it's interesting here, you know, in this situation, we might think this doesn't apply to us at all, right? When was the last time somebody next to you was like, hey, are you going to worship the 90 foot tall uh, statue that we set up? That probably hasn't happened very often. Um, but people do call us to worship a lot of things. Um, I think I have a slide up here from Sky Jethani, and I can't pronounce his name, but uh, he talks about how in everyday life, we still worship a lot of other things other than God. And we may not set up shrines to them, but it's what we make of ultimate, um, we make of ultimate importance in our life. What defines our identity, where we find purpose, and what we place our hope in is what we worship. And the world might not be asking you to worship giant 90-foot tall statues, but it usually is encouraging you to worship something other than the one true God. And if we're going to take a step of faith, what we're saying when we take a step of faith is the only person worthy of worship is Jesus. All these other things will ultimately fail us, whether we worship a sports team or a church or awards, achievements, family, the government, money, environment. All these things are good things that we make ultimate instead of God. And so we still find ourselves in situations where people ask us to worship something or someone other than God. And a step of faith forces us to stand up and stand out and say that Jesus is the person worthy of worship. See, a step of faith is going to shine a spotlight on us, but in an uncomfortable way. We like when spotlights are sh shown on our abilities on our achievements, on our talents. You know, if somebody shines a spotlight on you and they say, you are so beautiful. You're like, oh, awesome, thanks. You know, or somebody shines a spotlight on you and they're like, oh, you are a great musician or you're a great speaker or you're great at this sports or you're great at whatever it is. We love that, we like that kind of attention. But when you take a step of faith, it's a light being shown on us in a way that's going to reveal our insecurities because a step of faith is going to ask us to act on something that we can't see. Now, when I was a kid, I was a weird kid. I know you guys would never believe that, right? Um, but I was a weird kid when I was a kid, and what I did for fun was I wrote one-man plays. And so we're talking 8 through like 10, 11 years old. I would write one-man plays, usually about a Bible story or about a Protestant reformer and... Um, weird kid and so I would make these plays and I would perform them in my basement and I'd invite all the neighborhood over and so all the neighborhood moms and dads and kids would come over and I would put on these plays in my basement and they were horrible. If you ever want to blackmail me, my mom has some VHS tapes and just ask for you know Alex's play VHS tapes and you can have all the blackmail power you need over me. Um, so I was really bad about understanding how plays should be broken up. Okay? And so what I would do is I'd have really short scenes. So sometimes my scene would be like one line and then it would have to be a complete stage change and I'd have to change costumes and be a completely different person. And so I would have one of my parents over at the, the, the light switch in the basement and they would flip the light off so I could completely change the stage and I could duct tape like stuff an animal up here for the prop changes and I could change an outfit. Well, the the scene changes were longer than the actual scenes. 
And so it was really awkward where I would say one line and then the light would go off and it would be off way too long. And so, you know, the crowd would start getting uncomfortable, like, is something going to happen? Like, is this play going to continue? And so many times my parents would be like, it's been like eight minutes. Surely he's done now. So they'd flip on the light and catch me like halfway into a costume change or halfway into changing something on set. Nobody ever wants to be caught in a spotlight like that. Um, but that's exactly what happens when we take a step of faith like this. You know, a step of faith many times will let you meet people that you have no business meeting. Like here they are coming face to face with a king, but it's not in the way that you want to do it. A step of faith, when you step up and stand out for Jesus, means that oftentimes you're going to find yourself in situations where you don't belong, but not in the scenario where you would have liked. But notice that without a step of faith, there would have been no change to the status quo. If they hadn't taken this step of faith, if they hadn't faced the fiery furnace, they would have just kept worshiping that golden statue. People would have just kept worshiping this false god, this fake image, this thing that's not worthy of worship. Now, if I was them, I'd be like, guys, just don't say anything. When the music plays, we'll just say, I love Jesus, as we go down to the ground and we'll just act like we're worshiping the gold statue and it'll be safe, right? And nobody will have to go to the fiery furnace and everything will be fine. And you know what? If I had done that, I would have been safe, but nothing would have changed about that situation. When God gives us an opportunity to take a step of faith, it shatters the status quo, it changes things, but it's risky. But the risk is worth it because if we don't do it, we might stay safe, but nothing gets better, nothing changes. They had to take the risk and they were willing to do it. And they even said, they said, even if God doesn't save us, we fully believe he can, but even if he doesn't, we'd rather take the risk to change what's wrong than to just play it safe. You notice in uh, verse 17 here, he says, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Their statement helped convince King Nebuchadnezzar, who goes on a curious journey through the book of Daniel here, and ultimately comes to a place where he recognizes the one true God, their step of faith put right in his face that their God was the one true God that he was real. See, our steps of faith prove the existence of God. There's people all over this planet, all over this community, all around the city of Philadelphia who say, is there really a God? Does God really exist? And when we who say there is a God actually act like there is a God, actually take steps of faith, actually live like we believe that there's an invisible, all good, all powerful God at work in our world, it proves the existence of God. It's easy to say there's a God and then not act like it. And you know what everyone says? Yep, exactly like I thought. Those people say they believe in God, but they act like everybody else. There's no steps of faith. They don't act like there's an invisible, holy being who's out there working alongside them. And so they make the same mistakes I do and they take the same risks I do and they don't act like there is anything different uh, when it comes practically to the way that they live their life. But when we actually take steps of faith, when we actually act like we believe that there's an invisible God at work in our world, then it proves to people, it makes them curious about the existence of God. And ultimately, you notice here in verse 18 that despite the risks, a step of faith is worth it. Notice what he, they say in verse 18. Even if God does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up.
Now, a step of faith, I can never guarantee that it'll always be successful, that it'll always result in what you want. I can't guarantee that it'll always be safe, but I can guarantee a step of faith is always worth the risk. Because a step of faith helps you spiritually grow, it does good to the people around you, and it glorifies God, and it's always worth it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, even if we end up in the fire and we die in that fire, it's still worth it to stand up and stand out for Jesus. And then in verse 25, the king says, okay, fine, I'm throwing you into the midst of the fire. And then they see four men. And, you know, some scholars say that this fourth man was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. We don't know. At least it was, uh, at the least it was an angel. But certainly it could be Jesus there with them. And I think that many times we experience God, we experience Jesus on a deeper level, not when everything's fine, not when we have plenty of money and plenty of praise and success and everything is comfortable and safe. We experience Jesus in the most deep, meaningful ways through the most difficult moments of our life. Jesus shows up in the most powerful ways in the most darkest parts of our life. Now, those parts are never fun, but those are always the parts where we see him reveal himself in the most meaningful ways. Why? Because our tendency is, when everything is going well, to kind of put Jesus on the side. You know, I heard one guy describe Jesus as we keep Jesus as a spare tire when everything's going well or is a little too comfortable or we have plenty of money. And we say, oh, well, we'll pull him out when things get difficult. But when we go through a difficult time, a dark time, when we go through something that requires faith, faith, it forces us to experience and uh, seek and pursue Jesus in a much deeper, much more real way. And so then they come out of the fire. They're miraculously rescued out of the fire here. And we see in verse 27, I, I love this comment. It says, they were completely unaffected. They weren't singed. They weren't burned. And there wasn't even the smell of smoke or fire on them. You know, my, my grandfather, he's passed away many years ago now. But uh, growing up in Tennessee, my grandfather was a smoker. And he was a heavy smoker. And, uh, but he thought no one knew. And so he was a heavy smoker, but he would act like he wasn't a smoker. And so, you know, you would, uh, he'd sit you on his lap or you'd give him a hug and you're like, Grandpa, what's this in your pocket? And he's like, cigarettes? Oh, somebody must have put those in my pocket by mistake. And we're like, we're not dumb, Grandpa. We know you're a smoker, you know. Or he'd be down fishing on the dock and I'd come down and uh, he was deaf too. So I'd get real close to him before he hit me. And then he'd take the cigarette he was smoking and throw it out in the lake. And he goes, I'm throwing sticks in the lake to scare the fish. That doesn't even make sense. But he thought nobody knew that he was a smoker. But every time you were around him, you could smell smoke on him, right? You knew that he was a smoker. He wasn't fooling anybody. He was so used to it, he didn't even recognize it. When we go through difficult times, we're either going to have the smell of the tragedy on us, or we're going to smell like Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is everybody goes through hard times. People who love Jesus, people who don't. But what I find is people who love Jesus, who experience Jesus through a hard time, they come out in a way that reflects Jesus. They come out in a way where people are curious. There's like there's something about you, about the way you went through that, the way you survived that tragedy, the way you went through that hard time, that difficulty, the way you escaped the fire that makes me curious about who you serve and what your, uh, who your God is. 
But the people who don't know Jesus, they're going through hard times too, but they come out defined by the tragedy. They come out smelling like smoke rather than smelling like Jesus. And when we take a step of faith and it leads to hard things or it leads to disappointments or we don't see the success or the safety that we hoped would come, I'm telling you that the result is you end up looking more like Jesus. You end up smelling more like Jesus. And that ends up being reflected in the way that we live and love and have relationships with people. And then finally in verse 29, the king says, you know what? There is no God who is able to deliver like this. This is a one-of-a-kind God. The Babylonians had many gods, and they kept adding ones, right? Because they kept building things like golden statues. But Nebuchadnezzar says there's no God like this. This is a one-of-a-kind God. And in our world today, there's many gods, right? We talked about some of them, worshiping the America, or worshiping a sports team, or worshiping money, or finances, or wealth. But there's only one God who can save. See, the Bible tells us that in all of us, there's this destructive tendency towards selfishness. The Bible calls it sin. It sounds like such a Bible, theological world, but we've seen it all in our lives, right? It's when we're in a relationship with someone, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friend relationship, when we want to get our way, that's selfishness, that's sin at play. And the Bible says that this sinfulness, this selfishness, hurts our relationship with God and hurts our relationship with other people. And, you know, religion says, if you do enough good, maybe you can get over this selfishness. Maybe you can get over this sinfulness. Like, if you go to enough services, and you read enough, and you pray enough, and you do enough good things, maybe someday you'll be able to get over it. But Jesus says, instead, let me do everything that you can't. And God came into the world in the form of a man, a man named Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And he died on a cross, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And after he came back to life, hundreds of people saw him alive, and they said, you know what? He must have been telling the truth if he came back to life. And so they started telling other people who started telling other people. And the reason that there's still churches 2,000 years later is because people have been passing on this message. This guy is alive. Jesus is alive. And that means everything he taught and said is true. Anyone can have a relationship with Jesus because the God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire is still saving people today. And it comes as we simply believe, we say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died in my place for all the sins and wrongdoings that I deserved, and instead you bought me freedom. And Jesus is still saving people who will follow him out of the fire today. So as we come to the end here, what I want to ask you is, where are you growing, doing good, and giving God glory? Because that will reveal where we're taking steps of faith. See, it's real easy to have series and sermons about steps of faith and talk about other people. And we say, hey, that person went to another country and built wells for people who need water. That's awesome. It's a step of faith. A step of faith may be walking across the street and talking to your neighbor and saying, hey, can I build a relationship with you and start talking to you about Jesus? A step of faith for you might be saying, hey, I'm going to start attending church. Or a step of faith for you might be, you know what, I'm going to start praying each day. Or I'm going to start reading my Bible. But where you choose to take steps of faith are where you'll start to see yourself grow. You'll start to see other people impacted for good and God glorified. So think practically about that. And then think about what's your next step of faith. And is there any fear or hesitation about it? If you've had disappointments before with your step of faith, or you've had a step of faith that led to something hard or difficult, admit that to God. God's not scared of your doubts or your worries or your concerns. He can take them. He's big enough. 
And sometimes I just tell God where I'm like, God, I did this for you and it didn't turn out like I wanted. Like I imagined it bigger or different and I don't know if I can take the next step. And I find that when I come to God, he always reassures me that he's good and that he's going to empower me to take the next step in following him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, who looked at a step of faith that they knew would be costly, would be dangerous. They had no guarantee of safety. But they said, it's worth it for God's glory to end this evil practice of worshiping this gold statue. And we know that spiritually, it'll help us grow. And so, Lord, they did it. Lord, help us to have that same courage to recognize that you're such a good God that we can trust you even if the step of faith leads us through the fire instead of around it. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.